Did you know that you can expand your international markets on the eBay platform? Learn about how the platform can increase sales and help you grow your business with Andrea Stairs, Managing Director at eBay on Episode 62. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. So happy new year and welcome to Two Babes Talk Supply Chain and 2018. We hope you enjoyed the holidays and are back in the swing of things to help with that. We are starting the year off with a bang. Today we have Pat Roche from the Green Shipping Line and he is talking to us all about how they are facing the challenges in transportation industry head on. So Pat has been involved in transportation since 1984 aboard the USS Pensacola LSD-38. After his honorable discharge, he began a career as a driver. After 20 years of safe driving between his employee years and owner-operator years, Pat decided to move into the office. This is where he began working transportation as a whole. Pat has learned in 13 years of office work that there's always more than one way to move goods around the world. Often, the cheapest is not the best, nor is the most obvious. This is his specialty. He finds things others may not look at as solutions. Be it cost savings, efficiency, or both, there is always a way to improve on transportation network. So welcome to the show, Pat. We're excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, and what a sparkling review. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year to you, too. So let's get started. Who and what is the Green Shipping Line? Uh, Green Shipping Line was founded by uh, two associates of mine, uh, Percy Pine and Ellie Ford, and is a completely Jones Act container transportation company here in the States. Uh, We aim to charter, build, own, and operate uh, a fully integrated domestic container line here in the U.S. Awesome. Awesome. So let's get into, like, the challenges facing the transportation industry in North America. What are those challenges? What are you guys seeing? What needs to change? I want to hear it directly from you guys. Uh, there's a lot, actually. Um, the driver shortage is huge. Um, it's been a topic of a lot of people's conversations. Um, one of the reports I recently said they would have to hire an average of 48,000 drivers a year right now mm-hmm. just to manage the uh, shortage. And if things don't change and the demographic of drivers doesn't change, by 2025, it could, it could raise to 175,000 a year. It, it's wow. phenomenal. Um, ELDs, everybody's favorite three-letter word, um, electronic logging devices and hours of service, they kind of combine together. Um, right. right now, right now, that just started here in the States on December 18th, and, oh, there's a lot of complaining. Um, but if you listen to industry reports, we're expecting at least a 5% reduction in productivity nationally. And it doesn't sound like a lot, 5%, but when you think about the fact that uh, one out of every four vehicles on the road nationally is a truck, that's a lot of stuff. Right, right. So uh, what is what, what do you think is the reason for the shortage? 
And why why do they need so many drivers? Well, there's there's a lot of the the, the forty eight thousand is it's kind of a skewed number. It's a really hard thing to track. Drivers jump ship almost mm-hmm. every two years. Some even sooner. Um, many drivers don't stay at one trucker for their career, um, and that adds to the visual of driver shortage. Um, but there is. You talk about the demographics, and people my age, early 50s, are the majority of drivers on the road today. And as we retire from driving, the input of new drivers is less, which is what's creating the imbalance. And it's just going to keep going as long as people keep thinking that things just appear on the shelves magically. Um, the reduction, the reduction in productivity, uh, I think is mostly going to come from the relearning of how to do the logbook because it's not, it's not any different rules. It, it's just now done electronically. So there's no paper fudge factor in there. There's no, I was in a sleeper berth while my truck was getting loaded or stuck in traffic and this and that and things that most everybody's going to do to, make sure that they can make a paycheck at the end of the week. Uh, right. You won't be able to do that anymore. So, so that's going to have to change on an education level. Shippers and receivers, you can't hold the customers, uh, you can't hold the trucks for two, three, four hours because that takes away from their productivity time on the road. It, it's, <laughs> it's a whole education thing that has to come. Yeah, I mean, they've they've implemented this, right? They They implemented it a couple of months ago. So I believe... So then, you know, what's the rollout plan? Is there a rollout plan? I mean, there's a couple of things that we're talking about here, right? We're we're talking about the right. new regulations with the e-log and, and it being electronic and there being, I mean, there has to be some sort of rollout for everybody to get used to this, this sort of system. And then on the other hand, we're also talking about a shortage of drivers. So not only do we have one challenge, we have, you know, two very major challenges facing the industry right now. Absolutely, absolutely, and there is, there has been uh, a rollout. This has been talked about for several years here in the states, and they've been complaining about it and kicking it down the road and this legal action and that legal action um, between owner-operator groups, uh, state legislatures, police departments, all of the above. They've all had their say in the matter, and it came down to there's a soft rollout starting December 18th of this year. And many states still haven't implemented all of their um, regulations to this and how to mandate it. So they've got two years, as I last read it, which could change because it has been, uh, two years to be fully operational, everybody. And there's a lot of things that still need to be worked out. I mean, you could throw one quick in the mix here when you talk about um, livestock carriers. You can't have cattle or pigs in a trailer for more than a certain amount of time or they get sick and then they can't go to slaughter. So those guys have some crazy hours that they have to do and field the field so they can get the cows back out into the, into the meadows before they bring them to the, to the slaughterhouse. So there's, there's so many different aspects that still need to be addressed. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. 
So in some of the um, documentation that you sent over to me, and just so the listeners know, we are going to have a free download available on this topic um, on our website at twobabestalksupplychain.com. You were talking about in, in this download, you know, the U.S. Department of Transportation, they kind of did some sort of, um, you know, research into what's happening. So can you just give us a bit of a summary um, of their findings? And then, again, if the, if the listeners want a little bit more information, they can go to the website to, to download um, the white paper. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, great question. Um, the findings, well, first off, were $4.7 trillion behind to be able to bring the uh, – National Highway System Surface Transportation Group up to satisfactory condition. Now, that's not improving it. That's, that's not making it new. That's not adding to. That's just bringing it up to satisfactory. Wow. Um, so we've got we've got a huge hurdle in that alone. Um, building more roads. Mm, there, there's so many different schools of thought, but. What they really found is that we need to reintroduce the American Marine Highways to the Transportation Act of the United States. We need that fourth mode to increase the ton capacity to meet the growing population and, um, what I want to say, commerce of the United States. Hmm. Wow. So, and is that, that's due to uh, road conditions, that's due to driver shortage, um, you know, the, those two, I guess, are the major drivers of that. Yes, yeah, the, the, the road conditions are, well, I've driven them, many people have driven them, I, I don't have to answer that one, they can all make their own choice <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, cities are, are just over-congested. Um, for instance, one of the reports that I read said that if we don't change our aspects by 2040, there'll be 76,000 miles of congested traffic daily in the United States, compared to 11,000 miles today. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, investment into that sort of infrastructure is not in the cards or just not in the budget. Not in the budget. Uh, yeah. $4.7 trillion is way too big of a bill for even a public-private sector thing to put together. It, right. It's just, and it would take too long. I mean, right. look at it now. It take, how long did it take them to do the big dig in Boston? <laughs> yeah. And that's just talking about rebuilding the roads. So what about building more roads? Are building more roads going to create more traffic and congestion? Would they help at all? I mean... Before we get into, you know, utilizing water transportation, is there a solution with building more roads? Well, that's that's a, a, a funny thing because you would think, yes, more roads means more places to travel, but it's actually the opposite. Um, it, it's something that's called induced demand, and um, it's been studied since the 1960s. There was a woman who uh, pleaded with the city of New York to remove a road in the middle of Greenwich Village. They went right down the middle of the village, common area. And she pleaded with them and, and went to all the committee meetings and everything, and they finally agreed to do it. And the city decided that they were going to really look at expanding the roads around it because they knew there was going to be a ton of extra traffic. Come to figure, the traffic just disappeared. The external roads around it didn't get any more busy. 
Um, the same thing has been studied in Los Angeles, in um, all over Europe. There was there have been roads taken down, whole interstates taken down in China, Japan, Australia, and it didn't increase other road traffic. And consequently, on the other side, there was a study done here in the U.S., and I wish I could remember what state it was in. I, I, I want to say Arizona, but I don't think I'm correct, where they added six lanes to a highway, thinking that it was going to relieve all their problems, and all it did was make more congestion. Hmm. So Crazy. by adding more highway, by adding more highway, you actually add more congestion. Doesn't make sense, but that's how it works. Wow, that's that's really interesting because you know you would think obviously the opposite effect would happen. Yeah, yeah. And right. um, it's just crazy to think because I mean you can kind of build roads, you know, above roads. They don't have to be you know on the ground, right? Because you've got all those highways and, and different things. You've got the I don't know what they're called, the the ring roads and different things like that that go around the cities. And and you would yep. think that something like that would help, but it's just crazy to think that it would just increase everything. And the fact that it's going to be increasing from 11,000 to 76,000, I think you said, in a matter of, what, 20 years? I mean, there's yeah. no way that you're going to be able to keep up with that kind of, of demand. You know, and if, right. if, if um, creating new roads isn't going to help with that, then, you know, what is the solution? I mean, we, we've talked about the weakest links. We've talked about you know, building more roads, repairing more roads. We've talked about the driver shortage. So what is the solution? What can we look at to help with these transportation challenges? Because they aren't going away, and product's not going to stop moving. So we've got to be Correct. able to come up with, with a way around it. Correct. Um, and, and all of these things are a product of the growing population. Uh, and with one of four vehicles on the road being uh, one in commerce, a truck of some sort of some sort or another. That's not the biggest issue on the roads. It, it becomes with all the cars and the trucks. So, the solution is to remove what you can from the from the interstate highways and put it back on the water. There's 29,000 miles of domestic inter, uh, domestic navigable waterways for the United States between wow. the coasts, um, the river systems, and the Great Lakes. 29,000 miles of instant highway. Um, yes, our ports need some, some growth, but there are over 300 ports in the United States. Um, not all big ones, a lot of little ones. And those little ones are the ones that we need to target. We call them legacy ports. And with the smaller vessels that we're looking at, uh, our vessels, for instance, the largest want to be just under 600 feet with about a 20-foot draft. We can go into almost any port you can think of. Um, we can go entirely up the Mississippi River right to the Great Lakes and go visit you in Canada. Um, so, I mean, that's what built our country. Ninety percent of the United States population lives within 100 miles of navigable waterways. Hmm. We could serve so much freight this way. And then the stuff that needs to be on the roads has more capacity. Right. And what does that do? Just to paint the picture, are we talking like containers? Is it like, you know, ocean freight where you'll be able to put 20-foot, 40-foot, 40-foot high cube containers on these vessels? Absolutely. That's the design exactly. Um, okay. It was started back with the Ideal X um, back in the 1950s. And um, 
they told they told him that uh, you can't do this. And of course, he said, "Yes, I can." He was a truck driver, um, and uh, he bought the ship, put it together, did it, and proved it. It's sixteen times cheaper on the water than it is on the highway. Really? You can also add. It is sixteen wow. times cheaper. Um, you can also carry more weight interstate this way. Most states have a maximum weight limit intrastate. Yeah, they do. That you can put that you can put in a truck. Mm-hmm. But to be able to carry that hundred thousand pound load from Georgia to Massachusetts, you'd have to have overweight permits in all the states up through the way. Connecticut won't let you. Point zero. They don't do it. So you have a stopping point there. You can get the, you can get there from here. But if you put it on the water, you can go to that hundred thousand pounds there, and you can bring it up to Massachusetts and take it off legally here. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Now you, so yeah. you haven't taken any trucks out of a loop. You've taken that one truck that doesn't go from Georgia to Massachusetts, but you've now put one truck in Georgia that runs back and forth all day long and goes home and visits his family at night and has dinner with them, makes a better paycheck. And you now have another truck up there in Massachusetts that's doing the same thing. So you're not taking trucks away. You're retasking them to what they should be done. And that's local work where they make more money, they have more time to themselves, and the truck makes more money because it can run more hours. Yeah, so you're increasing lifestyles. What about carbon footprint? Does it help with that at all? Water is the best carbon footprint out there. Okay. It beats, right. It even beats rail. It even beats okay. rail. Interesting. Interesting. Um, we have we have a calculator um, that we modeled after one that's made in Europe, um, converted all over to um, American measures that we can share with a company um, if they've got a supply chain that they move X from here to there, we can take that and model it on the water and show them exactly how much carbon they would be saving. And with luck, our federal government will do what 27 um, European states have done and put uh, carbon credits to companies who do this because mm-hmm. the Marco Polo Act in Europe is, is um, adopted by 27 of the EU states and they benefit companies who put as much of their transportation on water as they can. But it still doesn't take trucks away. You always need a truck. Right. Well, in that scenario that you just sort of mentioned, how what does it do to the transit time? Does it... Actually, it, it really, if you plan it right, I mean, it really shouldn't change a lot. It'll, it, it's, not a, it's not something to give somebody for, like, flowers that come out of Florida. Mm-hmm. Those, right. those have to be in New York next day. So mm-hmm. they, they run teams. They run teams. They, that's a necessity. But regular supply chain stuff, retail stuff, um, manufacturing stuff that has a regular predictable supply chain, yeah. it would be ideal for. Now, there will be some hiccup in the beginning, obviously, because you have to get a little bit of stock ahead of game. But you're still, filling your, you're still backing trailers up to the dock every week just like you would Road road trucks. They just happen to be coming from the port. Right, right. And are you guys doing this currently? Like you, you have it's it's functioning right now, or where are you where are you at with the company? 
we are currently very close to having vessels in the water for this spring. Um, first ones we aim to have are going to be in the Great Lakes, um, running between New York and Michigan, and the other ones are going to be in the Atlantic, running between um, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, uh, and New York, the New York Port Complex. Great. Okay. Our goal yep. is to have at least 10, minimum, running up and down the East Coast. Others running up the rivers and more in the Great Lakes. Awesome. That's It's so exciting, eh? You're just like six months away from launching. So that's, or yeah. sorry, three to six months, I guess, from launching. So I was going to ask you if you have an example of a company that has successfully moved from truck transport to water. Now, since you haven't really launched yet, do you have an example of that? Or like, can you give me or our audience an idea of what that would look like from a cost savings and maybe transit time and carbon footprint and and that kind of thing, just as an example so that people can start really understanding how they can use that within their supply chain and visualizing what that looks like for them and their companies. Uh, I I have something that I can do as long as I stay in the gray area. Uh, I can't mention any names or anything. Um, But there's a company that that we've done uh, a whole platform for that ships 70 to 100 trailers a day right now. Um, and it's uh, a 24-hour drive free. So it's a next-day delivery free. Um, and they have a hard time quite often being able to keep up with the 70 to 100 trucks because driver shortage, new ELEs, there's a lot of things changing. And, you know, truck goes, especially now here it is winter, Trucks want to go where it's warm, so they have they have the issue with seventy to one hundred trucks a day at eighty thousand pounds, which means they're only putting forty to forty five thousand pounds net per trailer. Our program that we've done with them can load seventy thousand pounds net per trailer. So we're taking roughly two thirds of their trucks necessary. And, and reducing it in their in their neighborhoods, so we can move their freight with you know almost uh, under half the amount of trucks. Amazing! Now, Amazing! So you could just sort of sorry, you could just sort of imagine what that does to their bottom line. Yeah, I, I don't have the figure. They they didn't share that with me, but I uh, I made some estimates, and and they sort of look like the national debt figures. Wow, uh, it's it's pretty big, and, and I mean the the thing about the carbon footprint of that is the company that's being supplied is a very environmentally friendly company, mm-hmm. and their product currently is roughly eighty percent recyclable. Being able to take that much carbon out of their supply chain is going to increase their their um, their green aspects, which. The federal government already does do some things when it comes to environmental stuff. Um, I'd like to see them do more, wouldn't we all? But this adds more towards the green stock exchange for them, which makes their money more valuable. So both the company who's buying the material and the one supplying it get to um, benefit from that. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Okay. So um, is there anything other than, you know, cost savings, carbon footprint, 
um, as far as benefits to organizations that are currently using trucks um, and rail to move their goods? Is there anything else that you can kind of think about that maybe other or our audience should maybe consider in well, looking it's, it's at an, the, the change? Excuse me. It, it's an added redundancy. It's another mode of transportation to back them up. This isn't going to take away everything. It's actually, I don't think it's going to take away anything. What it's going to do is it's going to complement what's already there. Right. Um, there's there's places where the rail doesn't go. There's places where the highways are difficult, like in the inner cities uh, along the coasts. We can we can take those and put them where they belong and let those people and those supply systems grow as well. It, it's it's the mode of transportation that needs to be. Yeah, it needs to be added. It needs to be that complement. Um, it needs to it needs to be added to supply chains. It needs to be the complement to the truck and the rail options. One question that yes. I do have, though, since we're in the middle of winter, and I know you're in the middle of a snowstorm, <laughs> um, yeah. is there additional challenges that come with moving the goods on water, let's say, in wintertime? Because um, we all know on the truck side, you know, Obviously, if there's a lot of snow, they're not moving so fast. You know, the highways are congested, congested even more, et cetera, et cetera. What challenges would we have on the water side? Well, honestly, since we're not a barge company, we're a vessel company, um, It, the only challenges would be the traffic side, the road side, um, because uh, barges have difficulties and and barges have their great places uh in a lot of the a lot of the aspects but when it comes to the deep blue um waters if it gets too rough the barges generally don't float they they get too difficult to handle right. vessels it's just like your international vessels only smaller they can they'll go no matter what so we <laughs> have that issue with travel the only sorry, place sorry. we'll run into the hiccup is on the land side yeah, but what about in the rivers? Because rivers, I don't know. I, I'm not an expert on this, but they they freeze, well, right? Yeah. Well, the 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 major rivers um, in the U.S. they do commerce all year long. Uh, the Great Lakes has icebreakers; it does break. But the St. Lawrence connection to the Great Lakes um, does close from December until March, so there'll be a hiccup there. Um, but as far as, as far as like the Mississippi and Missouri and all those, they, they run barges, uh, with, um, bulk materials up and down them all year long. Okay. So with that closure, what states would be affected in that? Um, well, it would affect us between Lake Ontario and Lake Michigan. So we wouldn't be able to make that connection between over in Buffalo. So it okay. would effectively cut off New England. It would effectively cut off New England again. Um, okay. But that's that's just December through March. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Just trying to get, you know, as much information for the audience as as possible because obviously um, it's a great addition to supply chain and to what they're doing. And, and if they're taking a look at their strategies for 2018, I mean, this is definitely a good one to, to consider, especially if you guys are launching within the next three to six months, but knowing what those gaps might be um, will also help in that strategy, not only for this year, but next year as well. 
Oh, absolutely. And that's a great thing to point out because, yeah, I mean, it's, you have to look at everything. You can't just see, well, like it says in my bio, you can't just look at the dollar value. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into the supply chain that too many people don't realize. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're coming. You have given us so much great information. I love this. And I love that this is an alternative solution um, and something to uh, to be put into everybody's supply chain, really. So what's next for Green Shipping Line? I, we talked about you guys launching soon. Um, you know, tell us sort of what the next year looks like for you guys. Well, within the next year, and, and this is a great one. I thank you for asking this one. Um, we are going to be putting up a kit factory. Um, we haven't decided the state yet. We have things in mind, but there's still a lot to work out. Uh, we're going to be putting up a kit factory to build our own vessels, um, which are modeled after the ones that are built over in uh, Europe right now. Basically like a modular home. They can We can build a vessel in nine months versus the old stick built way of taking several years. Right. Um, so we will be we will be putting up our kit factory, building our own, and beginning to sell kits to smaller shipyards or other maritime entities to be able to build their own domestic Jones Act, um, whether they be vessels or barges, and grow this net, um, industry back into the U.S. the way it used to be. Great. That's so exciting. Really, really exciting. And obviously you're going to be launching. So um, everybody needs to follow you guys closely. Go to their website, greenshippingline.com. We'll have their website and as well as any social media links and that free download on our website at twobabestalksupplychain.com forward slash episode dash 63. So thank you, Pat, for opening our eyes to the challenges and the importance of taking a look at the alternative solutions and routes to supply chain. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I was glad to be here. And um, fingers crossed, we're gonna we're gonna get this thing up and running and and help everybody out. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. We're gonna we're gonna be following you guys closely. So good luck with everything. Thank you. Will water transport go toe-to-toe with trucking? We are excited to see what green shipping will continue to do in that space. Please rate and review this episode so others can find us. And we want to wish all of our listeners all the best in 2018 as we continue on this journey. Remember the secret project that I told you about a few episodes ago? Well, you need to go to our landing page, ships.com. That is S-H-I-P-Z.com. There you need to sign up and then you will be one of the first people to hear about the secret project that I am working on. Thanks a lot for signing in. Thanks a lot for tuning into the show. Remember everybody, have a great day and ship happens.